Should we study in Hebrews this morning? Is that a good idea? Okay. Before we get into our text, I want to ask you a couple questions. Very important questions. How much is your salvation worth? How much would you give for it? How much would you pay for it? Huh? Everything. I mean, if Jesus were physically here, and he says, here's salvation, but you could pay for it, you could buy it. What would you give? Would you give everything? Now, we know we can't buy it, right? Can't purchase it. Isn't it priceless? You can't set a price on it, can you? But if you could buy it, would we try to bargain for it? <laughs> Get the most for the least? Huh? Is that typical of how we, how we operate? It's a good deal, isn't it? Sadly, that's the reality for many Christians is they, they receive the most, but they give the least. Bargain basement salvation. Would you agree? I mean, if we understood what we had, if we understood what the God had given us, wouldn't we want to respond and, and just give everything of our life back? I mean, there'd be no, no restrictions, no holding back, no, God, you, get, you deserve the very best. Wouldn't we? Does that make sense? Why don't we do that? Why don't we do that? Why do we try to get away with giving back the very least? Huh? I think it's because we really don't value what we have. See, we're very comfortable as Christians, aren't we? There's not real lot of, a lot of persecution. It doesn't take much. I mean, you have to get up in the morning and drive to church. The biggest fight is to fight the traffic and maybe the kids. <laughs> right? I mean, it's, I mean, maybe you're flesh. You know, you say, oh, I don't want to get up. I want to watch a ball game. Michael Jordan's playing right now, you know. But that's the extent of the pressure on our life, Really? And we don't really, I think, have a sense of what he has done and what we are in possession of. Because I think if we did, my oh my. Wild horses couldn't hold you back from, from serving him with all of your life. You know that? Now let me ask you another question. How many people believe they're saved? Okay. How do you know? The Bible tells me so. The Holy Spirit has sealed me. How, how do you know you're saved? By faith? I feel saved. How do you know you're saved? heart changes, your 
Confess with your mouth. There's only one guarantee. There's only one guarantee. There's only one guarantee. Who knows it? Jesus said it himself. He who perseveres to the end will be saved. Now I want you to bear that in mind. Write that down someplace. Write it on your notes. Write it in your Bible. Write it on your hand. Write it on your heart. Write it someplace. He who perseveres to the end will be saved. That's what we want to talk about this morning. Is that a worthy subject? Turn your Bibles to uh, Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 19 through 25. Read these verses with me. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now let's go back. I want to walk you through these verses. And uh, they are thick with things that we need to think about. The first word is therefore. That word points to everything he's taught us up to this point. He transitions now in this letter from teaching, from doctrine to now practical application. It's in effect, he's saying, now everything I've told you, everything I've said to you about Jesus, the new covenant versus the old covenant, he's our high priest, no more the old high priest. We've had one sacrifice, the old sacrificial system's passed away. Everything that I've taught you, now this is what we're going to do with it. This is how we live it out, okay? So now he's moving into uh, application, and the whole balance of the letter will talk to us about that. So he says, therefore, brothers, since we have what? He says, we have confidence. That's in the perfect tense in the Greek language. We have confidence. It's a done deal. We have confidence to what? To enter... The most holy place. Now listen, this is, this is key. Who's he talking to? Who's his audience? Hebrews, Jewish people, right? Did Jewish people have confidence to enter into the Holy of Holies? Absolutely not. 
They couldn't even approach the Holy of Holies. They couldn't even get in the inner court of the sanctuary of the temple, right? What would happen if they did? They'd be struck dead. That's right. That's why it's called the Holy of Holies, the holy place. There was only one person who had confidence to enter into the most holy place. Who was that? That was the high priest. Could he do it any old time? No, he could only do it what? One day a year, Yom Kippur, right? The Day of Atonement, the Day of Covering. And he, could he go in there and spend all day if he wanted? No, he could only go in there for a few minutes. And man, he sprinkled that blood on the merchant's seat and he was out of there, right? Very dangerous to be in the presence of the living God. So you have to appreciate these words to this Hebrew congregation. This is revolutionary to them to think now that they have confidence to enter in through the, the most holy place. Now, he's not talking about just the most holy place of the earthly sanctuary, is he? It's symbolic of what? The most holy place, the very presence of God, to the throne of grace. Can you imagine if you're a Jew and you're sitting there and you're listening and you're writing and you're thinking, you're reading this, you go, I can, I can go in, I can approach God. I have access to God, wherefore in all the history of our people, we could never approach God. Would this be mind-blowing to you if you were a Jew? See, we take it for granted, don't we? We take it for granted. You have to appreciate the fact that you have confidence to approach God. Now, on what basis can we approach God? On what basis could they now approach God? What's he say? Based on what? The blood of bulls and goats blood of Jesus. Can I approach God based on my own character? I have a new shirt. Can I approach God based on my new shirt? Pennies on sale. Can I approach God because I'm a nice guy? Can I approach God... Because I don't rape, pillage, and plunder, and I'm pretty good most of the time. No. Do I have access to God because of my religious works? Are you sure? Can I approach God because I go to Hope Chapel? What's the only basis upon which I can approach God? The shed blood of Jesus Christ. I got one. Can I approach God? Now be careful. Stay with me now. Can I approach God based on a confession of the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Careful. Can I approach God on the basis of confessing Jesus the Christ? Can I can I approach God? No. 
Do you remember in Matthew's Gospel at the end of chapter 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, verses 21 through 23? Here are some people. Jesus says, in that time, in that day, presumably when he returns, you know, when all the books are going to be counted and everything's going to be added up, he says, many are going to come to me. This is frightening. Many are going to come to me. I mean, this, that, just the word many causes me to shudder. Many will come to me, and many will say, what? Lord, Lord. Now, so they know about him. They know his name. They know that he's the Lord. They call him Lord. Two times, emphasis, right? And not only that, they, but they say, in your name, we prophesied. In your name, we cast out demons. In your name, we did miracles. Now, based on a confession of Jesus as Lord, based on the confession that they did spiritual things, they did spectacular things. Evidence of there's something there. You would, you would presume, right? What is his response? It is absolutely terrifying. He says, never. Never. Not even all the way back to before eternity. Never did I know you. Away from me, not you doers of good. You what? You evil doers. Do you see how we can get caught up in religious activity? Do you see how we can very easily say, Lord, Lord, Lord? And you see how we can be seduced by our religiosity and think that we are saved? We are very vulnerable, are we not? You can't just say, I'm saved, I'm in, I know. Uh-uh. How do you know? See, only God knows the heart, doesn't he? Only God knows the true condition of every person. What's he saying? What's Jesus saying? He's saying there'll be people sitting in churches for years and years and years. They're sitting in churches for years and years and years, and they are just assuming they may have served in children's church for years. They may have been ushers for years. They may have worked in the parking ministry even. <laughs> they may not be believers. Does that not scare us? Isn't that a, a healthy kind of scaring? I mean, it, it, causes you to, it gives you pause. You've got to step back and go, Ooh, I better... I better. <laughs> Do you understand the importance of Jesus' words? He who perseveres to the end will be saved. That's what we want to talk about. So he writes to his people, and he writes to us, and he says, we have confidence. We can enter in. We have confidence to have access to God through nothing else but the what? The shed blood of Jesus Christ. 
I can't come to God commending myself. I can't come to God claiming anything else. The only basis on which I can come to God is I'm pleading the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus representing his death in my place for my sin. True? All right. So, he says we have this confidence. Now, let's go on. To enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, as opposed to the old and dead way. The old covenant, the dead sacrifices, no, we have a new and living way. There's a a dynamic to the gospel, to, to faith in Christ, that is living, 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 living. Opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. Why does he call Jesus' body a curtain? What do you think? Why does he call Jesus' body a curtain? Do we have another curtain, another veil, someplace else? Where is it? It's in the temple, remember? It separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And it was, it was, it was a barrier, wasn't it? The veil or the curtain in the temple separated the people from God. So in a very real sense, Jesus' flesh, his body, separated man from God. In this sense. Until the veil was torn in the temple, the people had no access, right? When Jesus died on the cross, what happened to that veil? It was torn from top to bottom, as if God's invisible hand was ripping it, saying, access, wide open, come right in, no more barrier, pointing to the the death of Jesus on the cross. Was Jesus' body torn? Absolutely. I mean, his back was ripped up by the whipping. His hands, his wrists, his side was pierced, his feet were pierced. Right, so he he his his physical body was literally torn. He died, and when he died through the tearing of that body, now God becomes what available to us. We now have access. Let me put it this way: If Jesus was still alive here on this earth physically for two thousand years. Going around, teaching, doing good, doing millions upon millions of miracles. Would that be a good thing? Would that be a good thing? Yeah. Would it be good enough? No, because he's still not yet Savior, is he? See, he had to die. So that he'd become Savior. So that we could have access to God. So his body was a veil or a curtain that had to be torn so that now we could have access to God. It's not enough that Jesus was a good teacher. Every other religion says, yes, we believe in Jesus. He was a good teacher. He was a prophet, a good man, righteous, perfect, every way. But where the rubber meets the road was he had to die. And he had to die for the price of our sins. So now we have access to God. What else does he say? 
by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. So his body was torn. The curtain was torn. Now we have a new and living way. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. In those first three verses, he says, we have two things. What do we have? What do we have? We have confidence and we have a priest. A great priest over the household of God. How many people have confidence? How many people have confidence that you you can approach God unhindered, unintimidated? You can approach God any time of morning, noon, and night, right? Not everybody has that kind of confidence, I can see. How many have enough confidence that if you read your Bible every day that you can approach God? Or you do your good work, so you're a good person. Then, oh, okay. I, you know, in the back of our, of our minds, there's this sense sometimes that, that if, we, if we're not doing, we can't approach God. We're still in that earning mentality. The only basis upon which we can approach God is the shed blood of Jesus Christ is everything. It's everything. When, when you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, when you have trusted in His atoning death for you and for your sins, you can approach God. And you can approach God and you can receive what? Wrath? A whipping. Frowns. What can you receive? Mercy and grace. Remember chapter 4, verse 16? We have confidence to approach the throne of grace from which we obtain mercy and grace. We don't get what we deserve. We get what Jesus deserves. Well, that's great. How many would want what they deserve? How many would want what Jesus deserves? You approach the throne and you get what Jesus deserves. God, is that not amazing? Do we extend that to each other? Do we extend that to each other? When people come to us and, and we're brothers and sisters in Christ and they betrayed us and they've been nasty to us, do we give them what Jesus deserves? Or do we give them what they deserve? <laughs> right? Is there room for growth? See, I'm convinced, absolutely, if we would, we would really believe and we would rely on Him that when people come into our life like that, we would treat them as we would want to be treated. We'd treat them as God treats us. You know that? We would. Well, let's look on. All right, so we have a high priest. What's significant about a high priest? What's significant about having a great priest? What did the priest do for Israel? He offered the sacrifice, right? Jesus, our priest, he offered sacrifice for us, right? What else did the priest do? Interceded. Interceded for the people, right? Could the priest take the people with him into the Holy of Holies? Are you sure? No, he did. He could take them. 
symbolically, right? Remember he wore the ephod? On the ephod, it was a particular vestment the high priest wore, and there were, he had a breastplate, and there were, there were 12 precious stones, one stone representing each of the 12 tribes. Then on his shoulders also were six stones and six stones, each representing the 12 tribes. So he would symbolically, when he went into the Holy of Holies, he would symbolically carry Israel with him into the presence of God. But they couldn't physically go in. But now our priest, we have a great priest, does he just take us symbolically into the presence of God? No, he just he takes us right in. Right in. We go with him. And not only do we go with him, but he continues to intercede for us. In other words, he continues to work for us on our behalf. In the midst of our weakness, he is constantly working in the midst of our weakness for us. Is that not a great priest? Who is doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So we have two great things. We have confidence and we have a great priest. Now he goes on, based on that, he says, here's our part. And he's going through through a series of five let us's talk to us about what our part is. First of all, he says, based on all of this now, based on what Christ has done, he says to us, let us hold, or I'm sorry, let us draw near to God. So now the way is open, we have confidence, now let's come in. Let's approach, let's draw near to God, but how should we draw near to God? Are you guys looking at your Bibles? How should we draw near to God? With a sincere heart. What does that mean? What does it mean to have a sincere heart? No phonies. Without hypocrisy. No ulterior motives. Not superficially. In other words, you make a genuine commitment. You know, I, I have to confess to you, there are times when I, I have to work hard to not being cynical when people make a profession of faith in Jesus. In my mind, immediately... The, the parable of the sower and the seed pops into my head, you know, the four kinds of soil. And I'm thinking, man, is this guy, is this gal going to last? Is this real? Is this a genuine commitment of faith? Are these people really drawing near? The way is open. Jesus made it open. He says, whoever, whoever will, come. And people make, they raise their hand, they make a profession of faith. And I'm thinking, God, please help this person. <laughs> help that, that, that their profession of faith is sincere. It's genuine. So let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. In full assurance of faith. You know, God uses the Old Testament and His people, Israel and Judah especially, as an illustration to us. Judah like many people, often had come to God with anything but a sincere heart, with anything but assurance of faith. In Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 10, listen to, listen to the Lord's words with respect to Judah. He says, Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but only in pretense. It was a game for Judah. It was just a big game. God says to us in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29, If you seek the Lord your God... You will find him 
if you look for him with your whole heart and your whole soul. You know, you could be in the deepest, darkest, aboriginal jungle someplace, never heard the name of Jesus, and just respond to what we call general revelation. You just look up in the sky and you, and you start paying attention to the order and, and to the complexity of creation. And you, and you begin to think of, look at all these things and you, and you set aside your, your heritage, your primitive religion, your family's influence, and you just sit and you just begin to think. In other words, you set aside your biases. And then you begin to think, you know, there's one God, there's one being, there's one person who's made all this. It's too, there's too much, there's too much evidence. And if you begin to search with your whole heart and your whole soul, do you know what? God will make sure that you hear the name Jesus. He will lead you right to a person, to a situation in which you will hear the name Jesus. And you will be saved. But what does he say? Search me out with what? Your whole heart. All your strength. Your whole soul. A sincere heart. Full assurance of faith. Unwavering confidence. Does God deserve our fullest confidence? You think so? Yeah. Yeah. We put confidence in earthly things, don't we? Who brushed your teeth this morning? <laughs> Boy, everybody better raise their hand. <laughs> or keep your mouth shut next to your neighbor. <laughs> Woo! When you brushed your teeth this morning, did you put your toothbrush under the faucet in the water? Get it wet? Before you did that, did you take the sample of the water down to the health department and have it tested to make sure it was safe to use? No, you had what? Full faith and confidence in that water. Did you have a reasonable basis? Sure. Done it before, never got sick, it's okay to use. We just got, in the water bill this month, we just got the, the, the test results for water in South Redondo. That's where I live, in South Redondo. Big old long thing. And I went down and think of, my, my, all that stuff's in my water? Ooh, yeah. And then the bottom line said, your water's safe. I ordered arrowhead water. (laughs) Who ate this morning? Who had breakfast? Who had donuts? Anybody have donuts besides me? Got here too late. The kids ate them all, huh? Bummer. When you ate that food, did you stop to think, wait a minute, this food, I better have it checked out before I eat it? Fed it to your dog. So if your dog died, you know not to eat it, right? No, you didn't think twice. You had full confidence in the food. Didn't stop to think, didn't worry, didn't flinch, didn't... Just ate it. Anybody spend any money this week? (laughs) Paid your taxes. (laughs) Whoa. You paid your money? Any doubt that the money wouldn't pay for whatever you're buying? Any doubt that the money would fail? No, he paid the money. Full faith and confidence in the money. Maybe not the government, but in the money. Maybe not even in the money, really. Does God deserve our fullest confidence? Yes, absolutely. The Bible's a record of his faithfulness. The Bible's a record of his faithfulness, his faithfulness, his faithfulness, his faithfulness. You say, I read your book. I read your book. I know you're faithful. 
I've read your book and I've seen people not trust you, not trust you, not trust you. And I just read it. I just could hardly, hardly understand why people couldn't trust you. Then I looked at myself. <laughs> hmm. In full assurance of faith. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. In full assurance of faith, he says, having our hearts sprinkled to clean us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Has your heart been sprinkled? Has your heart been sprinkled? Remember, this is, this is peculiar to these Hebrews. The sprinkling that would go on under the Old Covenant, remember, the priest would take the blood of the sacrificed animal and they would sprinkle that blood on all the utensils and then take it into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle it on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And all that sprinkling with that blood of that sacrificed animal symbolized what? Cleansing. So now all these things were holy. All these things could be used in the worship because they've been sprinkled. An animal, a life had been given to atone for all the, the uncleanness. And, and so the imagery is perfect for us. Our hearts have been sprinkled. What does that mean? By the blood of Jesus. And as a testimony, we get water baptized, don't we? That's the washing of the body, is, is you're testifying with an, with an external picture about this internal reality. My heart has been cleansed. I no longer have a guilty conscience. There are things in my life I could do nothing about. My past, I could do nothing about it. It haunted me. I was guilty over it. But I've been cleansed from it. Behold, old things have passed away. New things have come. Amen. And so I stand here to be baptized today and I'm testifying that I've been washed clean inside and my body is being washed clean outside as a symbolic picture of what Christ has done to me. So let us draw near. We have all of this. Let us draw near. Now, when you draw near, when you trust, let me suggest, if you really trust the Lord, then you have hope. Don't you? If you follow his line of thinking through these five uses of let us, you'll see that one leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. There is a connection between these. And there is a very particular order. He says, secondly, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. What is the hope that we profess? What's the hope that we profess? Christ is Lord. Anybody? Full assurance of faith? When people say to you, what do you, what do you believe? What, what, what hope do you have? What do you say? I'm saved! I know where I'm going! I'm forgiven! My conscience has been cleansed from my past. I have a second chance, a new start! I have salvation now and forever and forever and forever and ever. I'm going to be with Him. I'm going to see God face to face. And I'm going to be living in heaven with Him. Oh, I have a great hope. Do you have that hope? I have it. 
hold unswervingly, hold unswervingly to the hope you profess. Now let me suggest to you that a person who genuinely trusts in God cannot help. Right? And if you're really trusting God, you've got hope. You've got a confidence. Let me also suggest to you that a hopeless Christian, hopeless Christian, isn't that a contradiction in terms? Man, we ought to be the happiest people on earth, huh? We ought to be the happiest people on earth. I mean, when you think of what you are in possession of, you can approach God. Nobody else can approach God. Lots of people saying, oh, I pray to God. I don't know what God you're praying to, but you're not praying to the one true God. You can't approach Him unless you're approaching Him on the basis of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You have no hope. A lot of people walk around blinders on, aren't they? And we're just being polite. We don't want to be offensive. We want to be politically correct with everybody. We want to be tolerant instead of telling the truth. And we're going to tolerate them all the way to hell. What a tragedy. Instead of telling people the truth, saying, you have no hope. I have hope. You have no hope. You want hope? Believe in Jesus. I've been there, done that. I'm over here now. Holding on. Question. Does holding on keep us saved? Think, think. Does holding on keep us saved? Huh? Does holding on keep us saved? Well, let me, let me say it this way to you. Do good works make us saved? All right, now listen. If good works do not make us saved, then holding on does not keep us saved. You say, but wait a minute, you told us to hold on. Good works and holding on are evidence that we... Do that again. Good works and holding on are evidence that we... That's right. He who perseveres to the end, what? Shall be saved. The fact that you're holding on. Persevering. Evidence that you are saved. You're doing good works. Evidence that you... Probably are saved. People come to me and they say, Pastor, do you believe in eternal salvation? Do you believe once saved, always saved? I say to them, I believe you ought to persevere in the faith. See, because the person typically who comes and says, do you believe once saved, always saved? That's the person who wants to go cheat a little bit and then cheat with security that they're always saved. That's not going to unsave them. You know what I'm saying? So I said, that's not the issue. I don't care. That's not the issue. The issue is, are you persevering in the faith? Are you pressing on? Are you holding on to the end? Isn't that the issue? Beloved, a true believer will be around in the end. I mean, that's when it's all going to be, that's, that's when we're all going to find out. That's when we're all going to find out. We're not playing a game. This isn't just some social club. We're talking about eternal salvation. 
We're talking about the destiny of your soul. Where am I going to spend eternity? Am I persevering in the faith? Am I holding unswervingly to the hope that I profess? Now, you, that doesn't mean you won't be discouraged. That doesn't mean you're not going to have problems. That doesn't mean you're not going to be frustrated from now and, now and again. doesn't mean that you won't even experience falling into sin once in a while. But you will continue to hold on to this hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. Though we slide away, though we fall down, though we fall off the bicycle, he who promised is faithful. God never sleeps. Isn't that great? He doesn't blink his eye and then miss something. He's faithful. There's a testimony to his faithfulness. You read his book and you go, my, God, I would have blitzed those people long ago. You're so faithful. Isn't that great? A true believer's faith, a true believer's hope are never Never in vain. Despite what you feel, despite what you may be thinking, they are never, never in vain because they are in a God who is faithful to His promises. And that leads us to the third of our let us. Verse 24. You approach God, hold unswervingly to your faith, this hope that you profess, that opens the door now. We've been focusing on a relationship with Him. Now, the next step is we focus what? On our ministry. What's our ministry? Verse 24, what's our ministry? Two things. Love and good deeds. That's our ministry, isn't it? Do we love one another? Sometimes. What kind of love is he talking about? Anybody know? Agape love. Agape love is unconditional love like God's love. It's God's love poured into your heart which enables you to love somebody unconditionally. <laughs> no excuse now, right? Let us consider... How can I, and the word in the Greek literally is incite, how can I incite you to love and good deeds? How can I stir you up? How can I get you to be loving and to do good deeds? That's my challenge. We've got to consider that. How can we do this? Church, how can we do it? How can we, how can we incite each other to love and good deeds? How? How? Help, help me, help me. Encourage? How do I do that? Pray. 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 We pray. Okay. Anything else? Help me. Be an example. Somebody said be an example. Pray. Be an example. Okay. What else? Nag. Yes, we can nag. That's what I do. That's my job, right? To nag. What else? Man, I... 
we, sometimes we've got to get underneath each other, don't we? Sometimes we've got to get underneath each other. I've got to find a lightweight person to get underneath here. All the lightweight ones are hidden down in the center. We've got to lift each other up. Sometimes you physically got to say, come on, come on, love that person, will you? Absolutely. All right, sit down. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you physically got to get in somebody's life, don't you? What's your ministry? Good deeds are not just limited to being a nice person. Good deeds have a direct connection to what God has called you to be and to do in the body of Christ. What is your ministry? What is your spiritual gifting? How has God equipped you uniquely to fit into His body, His family, to do particular things He has prepared before the foundation of the world for you to do? What's your ministry? What are the, what are the things God has called you? How can I incite you to do the work of the ministry? See, He says, let us encourage. Encourage each other. To love and good deeds. Somebody turn, everybody, everybody turn your Bibles. If you've got your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you don't know where it is, ask somebody around you. That's okay. Don't sit by yourself. I want everybody to sit with one person and have a partner. Yeah, I hear the mumbling. Yeah, I know what he's going to do. I know what he's going to do. Find a partner. Don't sit by yourself. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to begin at verse 4, where it says, Love is patient. Do you find it? Put your finger there, where it says, Love is patient. And all you're going to do is you're going to read down through the first sentence of verse 8, where, where he finishes, Love never fails. See, that's all we're going to read. Now, here's what I want you to do. With your partner, I want you to take turns, read those couple of verses to each other. Verse 4 through Love never fails. Just read it to each other. Ready? Go. You guys in the back row reading to each other? Who needs a Bible? If you need a Bible, we'll give you a Bible. Through verse 8, where it says, Love never fails. Did we all read? Did we all read? Okay, now I want you to read it a second time. Wherever you find a reference to love, be it the word itself or the, or the pronoun, insert the name Jesus. And read it to each other again with Jesus' name there. Now, ready? Go. Hey, Theo. Read with your wife.
All right. Now we read it with Jesus' name in there, right? Yeah. All right. Now, we read it one more time. Now, instead of inserting Jesus' name, I want you to insert your name and read it with your name to your partner. Ready, go. Come on. Read it out loud. I want you to hear your hear your voice. Read your name. You should see from my vantage point. It's hardly nary a person reading it with a straight face. Do we need to be incited on to love? Are there places where we fall short? Yeah, we need to be in each other's lives, huh? Encouraging each other to love and good deeds. And then he says, let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Oh, I don't think I'll go today. Why? Oh, I just don't feel like it. I'll just sit here and worship God myself. See, when you take a casual approach to fellowship, you know what that says? It says you appreciate not what Christ has done, and you appreciate not the value of what he's continuing to do in and through the body of Christ. You have no value for it. These people were undergoing severe persecution. There was great pressure on them to get out of the fellowship so they wouldn't be identified and they would, they would be free of persecution from their fellow, fellow Jewish friends, neighbors, and relatives. And on top of that, they were suffering persecution from the Roman government. And so it was, it was very, very tempting for them to bail out on the fellowship. He says, oh no, we've got to have it. You've got to be here. You, we've got to be meeting together. How can we incite each other on to love and good deeds if we're not together? How can we be encouraging each other if we're not together? How come you weren't in many church? How come you don't go to many church? Well, I tried many church, but I don't get anything out of it. Oh. You don't get anything out of it. Oh, I see. Now, do you know why you don't get anything out of it? No, why? You don't put anything into it. 
You see, sometimes people forget. Sometimes they don't understand that God has taken the world, which is upside down, and turned it right side up. And in the world, you see, you go to get, don't you? But in God's economy, you go to give. And when you give, then you get. That's what it's all about. Your life is never so meaningful as when you're giving it away. As when you're serving others. As you're laying your life down. How many have come to that understanding? You say, you know, I've begun to understand something. I'm very selfish. I want to get, 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 get. But I've begun to understand that when I give, 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 I can't help but get, 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 get. (laughs) But it's more fun to give, 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 give. And I don't have to worry about getting get, 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 because I know it's going to come into that. Does that make sense? We've got to be meeting together. Jesus was in the synagogue every Sabbath. He never missed a Sabbath. Is there any excuse why I can miss church? Yes. You're dead. (laughs) We grow on you. Have you ever been in a situation, you know, you say, oh, I don't feel like going to many church. I don't feel like going to church. I think I'll just stay home. But there's something you just go, 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 go. You go, all right, I'll go. And you get there and you plop down and you sit there. But then driving home, you go, I'm glad I went. (laughs) I'm glad I went. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Beloved, do you know how much we need each other? You know, when the body meets, Jesus shows up. Do you know that? And when the whole body meets, the whole Jesus shows up. Not just parts of him. I'm almost done. Some of you are looking at your watches. I'm sorry. He concludes and he says what? Let us, let us what? Let us encourage each other. Let us, let us exhort each other and all the more as we what? As we see the day approaching. We, what does he mean? He's, he's, summing his, he's summing everything up. He's saying, oh, oh, we've got to encourage each other. We've got to exhort each other. You see someone who's lagging back? Go get them! You see them drifting away? Go get them! Don't let them drift away! We need them. They need us. You see a marriage that's in disarray? Don't just sit back and say, it's not my job. I don't know. I don't know what to say. Just go get in there and say what you see. I see something's wrong in your marriage. I'm here to help. I don't know what to do, but at least I can pray for you. They say, get out of here. Leave me alone. You say, no, I can't. (laughs) The Lord sent me. The Lord sent me. I'll stick my nose in your business. And if if need be, we're going to kneel down here. We're going to pray for two, three, four hours until your hearts melt. Right? 
Encourage one another. Encourage one another. Encourage one another. Don't be satisfied with sitting in a congregation once a week. We have a great salvation. Encourage one another. All the more as you see the day approaching. What day is he talking about? They have judgment. They have, they have the Lord's coming. I don't know where you stand with end times things. You know, a lot of people are, are pre-trib. You know what that is? That means that they believe in a rapture, that Jesus come and take us out before the seven years of tribulation. Those people treat pre-trib. They generally watch Channel 40. A lot of people are post-trib. What's post-trib? That the rapture or the taking out or the catching up of the saints is after the tribulation. You say, oh, I don't believe that. Well, you can prove either one of them. They're both, they're both, you can, you can do them both in the scriptures. Then there's a mid-trib view, you know, the Jesus comes midway. Why am I saying this? I'm saying this so that we don't grow slack. I'm saying this, we don't just sit down and say, well, uh, you know, we're not going to have to go through all that. Jesus come back, take me out, and whew, man, we're in heaven. You don't know that for sure. We need to be persevering to the end, whatever the end is. All the more as you see the day approaching. We live, a lot of us are believing we're living, we're living in the end times when Jesus will come back. We're living in times when things are really starting to heat up against Christianity. Worldwide. There are Christians around this world who are forced underground for their faith and who are suffering horribly. We don't have a concept of what they're going through. Yet. Yet. It may be a day when the church in America is forced underground. There may be a day when you and I cannot meet publicly like this. You can't just drive up to a building and come in and assemble and sing God's praises openly. There may come a day in our lifetime in the next several years when you and I have to go underground. Who are you going to know to trust? Where are you going to be encouraged? Who are you going to have to, to, to experience this mutual support? See, unless you're involved, unless you're investing, unless you're encouraging now, you won't have anybody. You'll be out in the cold and you'll be one desperate puppy. And you may fall away. You may fall away. Despite your profession today, you may still fall away. He who perseveres to the end will be saved. And brothers and sisters, we cannot persevere unless we're in each other's lives. A young woman confessed to me this morning that she was out of fellowship and now she's pregnant. She's not married. She's, she knows she was wrong. She's pregnant. She even considered an abortion, but thank God she turned from that. But she was out of fellowship. There was no one holding her feet to the fire. She wasn't accountable. There was no one encouraging her. She was not involved. See how easy it is to slip away? Despite your best intentions? Do we need each other? Amen. I'm done. Let's pray. Father, we, we say categorically we need you and we need each other. We need the church. Lord, as imperfect as the church is, as weak as the church is, as sometimes as stinky as the church is, Lord, we need it. We cannot live without it.
I pray, God, that we would all see this. Help us, O Lord. I love you this morning. I thank you for the church. I thank you for the privilege of assembling together. I pray, God, that we would indeed take these things to heart, that we would consider these things and consider, each and every one of us, our part, our role in this bigger picture. Lord, don't let any of us, please, take these things for granted. Don't let any of us, any of us say, ah, bologna sauce. Lord, that all of us, all of us, would draw near to you, that we would hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, and that we would indeed incite each other on to love and good deeds. We would continue encouraging each other for the assembling together. Lord, indeed, that we would encourage each other all the more as we see the day approaching. Lord, we're living in, in difficult times. We just commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Well, should we sing one last song? You guys? Yes. Yes. All right, let's stand. Let's sing one last song before we dismiss. One, two.